Welcome to Her Next Play's Power Chat Podcast, hosted by Sarah Wegman and Audra Emerson. At Her Next Play, our mission is to develop the next generation of women leaders through sports. Sports build powerful leadership skills, and female athletes have enormous leadership and career potential. In our Power Chat Podcast, we talk to inspiring women leaders about sports, leadership, and careers. everyone, this is your host, Sarah Wegman, and I'm thrilled to welcome our guest today, Carrie Meath-Sinkin, to the Her Next Play Power Chat Podcast, a graduate of Brown University, where she played Division I tennis. Carrie has a really unique and interesting background that's a mix of financial expertise and health and wellness experience. She received her Master's of Public Health from the University of Texas, focused on health promotion and epidemiology, and her CFP certification from the American College of Financial Services. Now a partner at Meath Wealth Advisors, Carrie is passionate about helping others cultivate meaningful, abundant, and impactful financial lives. Her approach in cultivating holistic abundance pulls from her experiences in both the corporate and wellness disciplines. In Carrie's experience, a person finds abundance when they have an effective financial game plan coupled with emotional clarity around money and in their life. When Carrie isn't working, she loves to hike, camp, play tennis, and kick around the soccer ball with her husband and two young children. She can also be found meditating, practicing yoga, or listening to her favorite podcast while walking her yellow lab. Carrie, welcome to the Power Chat Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. We're excited to have you on today. So you have had a really exciting career in the finance industry, and you're also passionate about sports and personal finance and health. How did your involvement in tennis and sports impact your work to help others? Yeah, I was thinking about that. And, you know, I think, you know, tennis in particular is a really individual sport. You know, unlike a big team, it's something you have to sort of pave your way. You have to find where you're going to find meaning, who's going to be helpful to get you where you want to go, traveling, you know, across the country by myself. There was a lot of individual time where I had to push through. And I think more importantly, I had to listen deeply to what was important to me, what rung true, what was going to help me get what I needed, where I needed to go. So if I fast forward to kind of how that led to where I am now, I think there's things that sports teach all of us, right? It's how to work hard. It's how to be resilient. It's how to lose and pick yourself back up after that. But I think another piece of it is listening to your gut and knowing when you're on the right track and when something really feels right. I think all of us can relate to being on the court or the sports field or whatever it is, and just being in the zone and feeling connected and just having so much passion for what we're doing. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that has led me to kind of the roundabout career path that I had is doing that. So it meant working really hard at whatever it was, you know, starting in my corporate consulting world out in DC, it was working hard, but then it was listening deeply and knowing when I had to say, all right, this is too much, or I need to do something different. I need to take some time to really get myself healthy. So from there, I ended up studying Ayurvedic medicine because I knew that I had to find greater balance in myself. If I, No matter what I was going to do, I had no idea how it would unfold. I'd never in a million years imagined I'd be back in finance, where um, which I had grown up with my dad as a wealth advisor. But kind of over time, I just kept listening and I knew I loved numbers. I knew I loved working hard, but I didn't know what that would mean. So went and got my master's in public health, worked a lot individually with people um, and really just kept listening to my gut. You know, it, it's sort of a cliche thing, but I think when you work really hard, opportunities present themselves. But I also don't think there's anything wrong with saying, you know what, this doesn't feel right. I need to make a move. 
Right. I just think your background is so interesting and that you really did try a lot of different paths. And I think it's fascinating that you kind of ended up, um, you know, somewhere maybe that's, you know, aligned with your family or you didn't think you'd end up, but you got there, but you took your very own path to get there. And it it, uh, seems like you have kind of, you're doing it your own way. I am. And I think that's probably what, what sports taught me is that, you know, there's certain things you have to do to play by the rules work hard, make sure you're within certain confines. But then I think you really make, you figure out where you're going to excel, what it's going to look like. And I think that's probably the biggest thing is I just kept following my gut. It didn't mean I didn't work hard. It didn't mean you don't have, you know, I didn't create opportunities. It just meant that if something really felt off, I knew when I needed to pivot. And that's ultimately led me to where I am now, which I'm, I'm so grateful and blessed because I really love how I've made this my own. Yeah. And I think it's such a blessing when we are in a role or a industry or a job that really fits, like you said, with your strengths and your passions, and you can find that like flow or that zone where you're really performing and, and doing well. So what's interesting is we find that um, women athletes often tend to do really well in male dominated um, industries. And so I'm just curious, you know, how did your experience playing tennis at a high level prepare you for the finance career? And what are some skills that have allowed you to do really well in a male dominated environment? Yeah, I think that's a really great question because I remember in high school, I ended up playing, practicing with a lot of guys at the U. And so for me, being with a bunch of men was not foreign. It was something that I had to get used to. And I think as a lot of athletes, you know, you're, you're used to kind of going back and forth with men. If you're participating at a high level, there's this sort of banter. So you feel really comfortable. And so I think coming back into it, you know, most conferences I go to, I walk into the room and, you know, the statistics are there's still 20% women advisors in the field. And so I'm used to just walking in and and seeing a bunch of men in there and be like, yeah, I can hang, you know, I know what I'm doing. This is going to work. And I think an, an important side to that too, being a woman is, not feeling like you need to conform to being a man in that role. So I certainly know women advisors who have, you know, keep up on all these different things. So they, you know, whether that's having to go to a baseball game or football or whatever it is, this is a big way. Sometimes people socialize in finance and while I love sports, those aren't my sports. And so I've really made it clear that I'm going to do this my way and I'm going to keep the the great parts of what it means to be a woman and use that as an asset and not try to just keep up with, with the men all the time in, in the ways that they like to go back and forth and banter sometimes. Right. Absolutely. I I think we find that, especially with networking, a lot of times it feels like I'm like, Oh, I have to golf or I have to do it this way. And I think there's a lot of power in figuring out different and unique ways to network and connect with people that kind of are more authentic to who, who we are. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I tried to do the golf thing when I came back into finance and I was like, nope, I have two kids. I need to spend time with them. And I ultimately I love being outside, but that wasn't my thing. So I have gotten really creative with how I connect with people. And I think people like it. You know, it's a different way of looking at things. Right. Absolutely. So you've been a partner with me, Wealth Advisors for over five years now. Can you just share a little bit about kind of what the role is that you play and what you do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is a really big one because at least before I walked into the field, and this is assuming, you know, knowing that I grew up with a dad who was in finance, I felt like it was pretty salesy. I felt like it was something that I wouldn't connect with. And so, and I think this still happens with a lot of young women. We do a lot of work trying to recruit more women into the field, 
because I think our assets are so valued in this work. Yeah. There's, there's the nuts and bolts, there's running numbers, there's looking at investment strategies, but the overarching aspect of it is honestly just helping people. It's looking at what is going to help them reach their goals. What is going to help them live their life? I sort of have a tagline in our firm, clarity, ease, and and impact, because I think when you have a lot of clarity, a lot of what I do is educate. It's just letting people know what are basics you need to understand about finance. You know, most of us don't learn that growing up. There isn't often a course in high school or even college. I know people I work with who have their MBAs who never spent time looking at personal finance stuff. Um, So I think a lot of it is just breaking it down into simple language you can understand. If you work for a company, if you are, you know, have your own startup, what are basics you need to have in place? How much should you be saving? Where should you be saving? Are you being tax efficient? Um, Getting really clear about what your goals are, what your values are. Is it important to you to invest in companies that are aligned with other things that are important to sustainable and impact investing is bigger than ever. So it's really figuring out what is going to, um, how someone can connect. I think sometimes, especially women, I notice there's this glazed overlook sometimes if you start talking certain language and I, I don't think it needs to be that way. It's just, so a lot of what I do is educate. I get to know people and I help educate them about what's going to make sense in their life. And then we work with people over a long time and we get to know them. And when they have little questions or big questions, I'm sort of like their, you know, their personal CFO to help them make sense of things when it, when it feels confusing, but it really doesn't have to be. So I think for women, um, it's important to, to just step in, right. To just step in and do it. And so, um, so a roundabout answer to the question, but a lot of time I spend just working with people getting to know people, sitting down with them, putting together a dynamic plan that's going to work for them. And then doing a lot of my own research, listening, staying on top of the latest legislation, listening to the news, you know, understanding what's happening in the world. So that, cause all of that impacts someone's, someone's personal life, you know, that the, you know, the global world and then our personal world, both of those things have to work together. So, um, so for women kind of looking at different fields, I think, don't overlook finance because there's a lot of ways you can make it your own and you can feel really good about it and you can make a really significant impact in people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. No. And I think we need more women in finance and I think can, can be such a great fit. So I want to talk a little bit about, um, as I mentioned before, we're focused on sort of um, this month, like financial power for women. And what's interesting is when we do surveys with our career accelerator, accelerator network. So this is young women, former college athletes in their early careers. The biggest topic that they're interested in and also say they don't feel confident in is this financial literacy and financial planning. So to your point about, you know, so many young people that have, you know, great educational backgrounds, like they just don't get this personal finance piece. So I would really love to hear a little bit about kind of you know, what is the best way that women, young women could educate and kind of get to know finance and um, kind of what are some resources and what should they be thinking about? Mm-hmm. I think the biggest one is to just jump in um, and not be intimidated. Sometimes it might mean taking a deep breath and being like, you know what, like I can do this. 
I, I'm smart. I'm educated. I can understand these things. I actually think that there's a really cool role that community can play in this and just having dialogues. So I'm working with a younger client right now, and I encourage you to just journal about, to start with her relationship to money. And she, she did that. And she has, she said the whole week she was talking to friends and colleagues and she's like, it felt really good just to talk about it because I think there's this idea that everybody else has it figured out. And the truth is, is that almost nobody does, especially not when you're younger. So take time to ask friends, talk to people. Hey, what are you doing? What are you finding interesting? And just, you know, maybe there's stuff that happened when you were a kid that didn't feel good around money that has caused you to want to push it away or not even explore it. Um, So I think the first one is just understanding your personal relationship to money. So journaling about it. Um, There's some great you know, different books you can read, but even just Googling it and then just talking to friends. Hey, what was your experience like with money? What are you doing right now? What's interesting to you? I think that's huge. And then from there for young women working for a company, find out what's available to you. Ask for all of your employer documents, read it, look at it, ask your HR department. If you have questions, if you're a woman, you know, you're starting up your own company. That's where I think talking to an advisor can make a lot of sense. Or, or someone who can guide you along the way, because there's a lot more decisions that aren't immediately given to you that are good to understand. And starting to save right away is great. But if you're not in that place, you know, and you will be in a few years, just start really simple. Just start by getting clarity about where you are. What are you spending every month? What are you bringing in every month? What does that look like? So I would, you know, really, I think it's getting clear understanding if there's things that are going to keep you from you know, in the next 10, 20, 30 years, having a healthier relationship with money and then just kind of starting to track it. YNAB is a great app for budgeting. That's one you could check out and just start to track it. Just, just start there if nothing else. And then, you know, in the next six, 12 months, as you get more comfortable, you know, see what's available to you. And if nothing is, then maybe that's the time to find an advisor that, that you really want to work with. You know, I think there's this notion of like, wait, should I, should I talk with someone? Should I work with an advisor? And I think, you know, there are advisors for every type of person out there. Um, And so find someone that you think would be a good fit, ask around, do some Google researching. There's a lot of different ways to find good people. So I, I'm glad you brought that up because I do think there's a perception, especially with younger professionals, that you shouldn't have an advisor until you have a lot of money. <laughs> and so I think, you know, a lot of people think that doesn't, you know, even apply to them. So, um, I mean, do you recommend early in your career? Like, what, do you have to have a certain amount of assets or like what would be a trigger that kind of makes you a good candidate for connecting with an advisor? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say when money becomes a huge source of stress for you. You know, I think that's actually an interesting gauge. If you're someone that's working for a company, things are a little more straightforward. You're always going to have a 401k. You're always going to have a lot of benefits offered to you. So you're getting some basic things met. And, you know, if you can work up to contributing 10 or 12% to your 401k, maybe look at tax brackets, see if Roth versus traditional 401ks are going to make more sense. If that doesn't make sense to you, Google it, because this can be a big one. But if you're someone who's just like, ah, this is so overwhelming, you can talk to an advisor once they can set you up with a plan when you're younger and you don't have to have an ongoing relationship or you can work with someone and they'll just charge a monthly retainer and they'll sort of be that go-to person. Um, You know, the traditional model is you, you manage assets for someone and you do all the planning that way, but there are so many new models coming out. 
Um, there's one I'm working on that I'll hopefully will have out in the next year or two, a community model where young people can talk together and create and set up good plans, really efficient way to do things. But I would say just when it becomes a source of stress and it's, it's keeping you from living the life you want. And if, if you have even a couple hundred dollars that you can put towards making a change, I would say that's the time to look at talking with someone. Okay, great. I love that. So I, I wanted to ask to just thinking about younger women in the beginning of their careers. At first I was asking the question, like, what are some of the like, biggest mistakes they're making, making, but I also wanted to flip it. Like, what are some of the best things they're doing um, to set themselves up for success? So kind of from both sides, I'd love to hear your perspective on um, what women are doing right and how they're setting themselves up, but also kind of where some typical mistakes are. Yeah, I would say the typical mistakes are just being completely overwhelmed by it and therefore not doing anything. I think that's the biggest thing. And so, you know, like I said, if you were working for a company and just maybe putting in 1% or or just being like, I don't get it. I'm not going to do this right now. And then before you know it, four or five, six years go by and that hasn't been revisited. So I think that's probably the the biggest thing you're, but, but if you're not in a place, if you're if you know kind of where you're at and you're just not in a place to save more, that's okay. Don't, don't beat yourself up for it. Do the little things that you feel like you can do, you know, even saving 10, 20, hundred dollars a month that that'll add up and that'll, you know, put in place some good habits for yourself. So I think that's, that's probably the biggest mistake. I see that the biggest, you know, positives are just there's a lot of young people who are, who really get it and are are making choices. And when you're younger, it's not, it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be, I'm going to save a certain amount, you know, 10, 12, whatever it is. Maybe you start out at you, you're putting 6% into a 401k next year. If you get a little bit of a a bump, maybe you put 8% in, but I think just start saving early. And if you're in a lower tax bracket, you know, think about doing a more of a Roth way of saving, because if you think tax, you know, your income's going to go up over time, it's a really good way to get some tax efficient savings in for retirement. Also, don't forget about those HSAs. I think people tend to think, you know, that I'm going to get an HSA and I'm going to use it all in one year. So HSAs are health savings accounts. That is what most companies are using right now, you know, with their high deductible healthcare plan. So even just starting to save a little bit into those, that's the only triple tax deferred vehicle. So that might sound like an overwhelming word, but it means you get a tax, you know, tax deduction up front. It grows tax-free and you it comes out tax-free instead of like ordinary income later on. So don't forget about the HSAs, take advantage of that and just really find out what's available through your employer and talk to people. If you're confused, talk to a mentor you have at your company, talk to the HR department. I think one thing you see is that people maybe are a little embarrassed. They feel like everybody else has it together. And the truth is that when we're younger, we're all just learning along the way. So the more you can open up the dialogue and understand what other people are doing and kind of what makes sense for you, I I think the better. Great. So one of the things is that athletes are so like, we're, we love goals (laughs) and we love setting goals and working towards goals. As a young woman, what kind of financial goals should uh, we be thinking about? That is a great question. Um, and I think there's a lot of different ways to approach it. Yeah, I'm certainly a goal setter myself. So I, you know, I, I do think that's a great point. And I think it's it's okay in this sense to not be perfect. I think sometimes 
for, for the goal setting athletic, you know, that part of ourselves, we want to know, like, this is, this is exactly what it needs to be. And I think that having those goals is great. And they could look like, you know, putting a certain amount into retirement. If you're someone who's maybe graduated college, but you're, you know, you're going to go to grad school in a few years. Well, it's okay to save a little bit less in retirement now and, and really build up a bucket to support yourself, you know, with grad school. If you know, you have a home that you want to buy in a few years or whatever it is, I think it's so individual. It's hard to say. I think the biggest thing is just sitting down and looking at your life in the next five, 10 years, looking at what's important to you. And if there's going to be maybe a price tag associated with that. And if there is, then maybe you sit down now and say, okay, this is a way that I can save every month. Maybe factor in a little bit of, of growth on that if you're investing it somewhere, but just saying, yeah, okay, I can, I can meet that goal. This is what it is. And I can get there, but, but no, it doesn't have to be the same for everyone. And that it's okay. If it changes, you know, there's always surprises that are going to come up that you're not going to expect. Um, and there's and sometimes for the better, sometimes, you know, for the harder. So I think, you know, but another big thing when you're younger is setting up an emergency savings account. This is one thing that I think, you know, having enough in savings for the next six months of expenses is really important because then you always have the flexibility. If whatever you're doing, whatever career, whatever job you're doing doesn't work out, you have a little bit of a cushion, or if there is a big surprise that comes your way, you have something that that can cover that. So I think, you know, set up the emergency savings account and then look at those other goals and think about, talk to someone, mentor, whoever it is that uh, an advisor that can help you think through how to meet those goals. Absolutely. I wanted to ask you about budget. So you mentioned a budget app um, as one way to track. I think it's interesting because sometimes I think young people get advice about you should have a budget. And I know people that track every single thing that they spend and a spreadsheet and get very detailed. And I think, you know, I get other people I've heard advice around, you know, that's just so stressful and taking so much time. And so, you know, you're not going to you know, when from a financial perspective, if you don't get coffee and kind of manage your budget at that level. So, and I'm sure it's probably different for everyone, but kind of what is your perspective on budgets and who do they work well for? And I loved again, for you to mention that app, because I think the tools and making it easy is always important. Yeah, that is a really great question. And so if I put on my, my financial or my, um, Ayurvedic hat for a minute, there are different body types that we all have. And what I find is that a lot of athletes fit into this really fiery body type. So that's a body type that leads to a lot of drive, a lot of precision, wanting everything to be a very specific way. And that's a body type that tends to do very well with a budget, but can also be controlled by it. So by that, I mean, it can become so intense that the ability to, to flow a little bit more with other things in your life gets a little bit harder. Um, so I think I personally think that for some people, a budget can be really helpful. If it helps you feel better, if it helps you have more ease, if it helps you approach everything from a more grounded place, then I think a budget is great. If you notice yourself getting to the place where you're really intense and sticking to it so much to a T, I know the latte factor is a finance book and they get very specific about certain things. Um, but if it, it starts to rule you, that's when I think it's maybe not as helpful just from a health perspective. 
So that's where I tend to like things like automating as much as you can. I think automating things cannot be overrated. So what I mean by that is, is looking at what income you have coming in and then all the different buckets that are important to you. That could be a retirement bucket. That could be a fun bucket, a going out to dinner bucket. That could be, I want to buy a home or go back to grad school or have travel the world, whatever it is. Maybe you have a bucket for that. And every month when that paycheck hits, you have the money immediately going into those different buckets. And I think that's a great way to take the stress off a little bit. And then whatever's left, well, that you can play with. And if you can find a way to make that work, then I think that's a, a different way to approaching budget that maybe isn't quite so you know, intense because I do see that budgets can cause problems for people as well as be super helpful. If you're someone who just spends... I don't want to say willy nilly, but just doesn't feel like you have control over things, feel things feel a little out of control. You know, you don't have a good sense of what you're spending on different things. That's when I think, you know, don't commit to doing it forever, maybe, but say for the next three months, I'm just going to see, I'm not going to judge myself. I'm just going to see where my money's going. You know, is it all going to certain things? And is that in alignment with your values and your goals? And if it is, then great. If it isn't, or you feel like there's areas that are getting missed, then maybe that's time to reevaluate a little bit, talk to someone, ask for advice, see what makes sense for you. Right. Okay, great. And can you mention that app, the budget app? Yeah. So it's YNAB, Y-N-A-B. There's a lot of different ones out there, but that one um, just people seem to really connect with. Okay, great. I hope our listeners check it out. So you have such an interesting mix with the financial and the personal health and the balance. So how you mentioned it a little bit in your last answer, but how do you use this holistic approach when you work with clients? Yeah, I think, you know, at the end of the day, we're just, we're all different. And I think thinking that you can apply one way that is going to help someone reach their goals. Yeah. There's certain financial pieces you can put in play, but there's a lot to be said for how you work with someone. So for example, I mentioned that fiery body type. Well, there's also a really airy body type. So this is a body type that likes to move around, make lots of decisions, move very quickly, but tends to get a little more anxious, tends to get a little bit more nervous, a little bit more stressed. And this can absolutely show its head when we think about money. And so this is the person, if we're investing for them and, you know, spring hits, they're, they're the one who will call me and be like, what should I do? Like, should I pull my money out? If, if, you know, like when the COVID drop happened in the spring, um, and it's that person that I, I, I have to remember, I need to take extra time with, I have to really say, remember, we talked about this, this is how we're approaching it. These are your goals. This, you know, really the high picture of, of why are we doing everything? What have we talked about before? So that what I find this does is it helps them settle and relax a little bit and be like, Oh yeah, I remember. Okay. So then, you know, these are various things that we've done to, to protect against that. So I find that person needs extra time. Whereas that fiery body type, they want to dig into the details. And so it's just knowing, all right, this is important to you. And it's because it, it helps your mind relax when we go there. Or, um, so there's just different ways that I'll talk with someone, different ways. I'll approach things, different ways. We'll engage with them. And, and not that it necessarily needs leads to a drastically different financial plan, but it allows them to stick to the plan better, that behavioral finance piece, because we're meeting them where they are and we're helping address their concerns. And that can be done in a lot of different ways. This is just my personal approach. And I also think there's this huge connection between wealth and wellness. And, you know, some people um, 
you know, on more on the wellness side, you know, need to be a little savvier on the financial side. And then there's some people who have done really well financially, but sometimes need permission to be able to spend their money or to do things to nourish themselves because they're in a certain track. And so I think the more those two can flow and integrate with one another and support one another, you know, money is one of the biggest sources of stress. So at the end of the day, whatever, you know, you can do to help reduce that stress by talking about it, by looking at how you're relating to it, by putting the right practical plan in place, all of those things just help free you up so you can live your life with less stress and therefore really spend time doing what you love. Right. And so you just touched on this. So it's a perfect segue, but I love the way you talk about nourishing yourself financially. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What, what that means and how people can put that into practice? Yeah. I mean, I think it, it, again, it can be individual, but I think it really starts with what we talked about at the beginning together is understanding your relationship with money, understanding, are there certain triggers for you? Are there certain things that are not, you know, different things that are just dialogue in your head. I'm not good with money. I'm not smart enough to be working around money. I can't save money. You know, I'm not worthy of money. There's so many different stories that we tell ourselves and they drastically impact how we actually relate to money in our world. And so you do see people who sort of can sabotage themselves financially because they have those, they just aren't, there's just emotional blockages that keep them from making good decisions. So I think that's a big part of it. But I think when it comes to nourishing yourself, for me, it really comes through education. I think as athletes, we all know this, right? To get better at something, you have to work at it. You have to work hard at it. You have to put time into it. You have to understand it. You have to know why you're doing whatever it is. And the same is true of finance, but I don't know that we always view it that way. And I think especially as women, we tend to again, shy away, maybe a little bit, instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to approach this, like I'm practicing for a game, I'm going to learn about it, I'm going to talk about it, I'm going to research it. And I'm going to do it in ways that feel good to me. Clarity alone goes so far, you know, it goes such a long way in helping someone have more ease. I think we can all say, if there's been some dialogue we've had, or an experience we've had around money that didn't feel good, well, if you talk about it, and you understand what happened, then maybe you keep yourself from making those mistakes in the future. And I think when you have more ease, you're able to make better financial decisions and, and ultimately make the impact that you want, whatever that is for yourself, for your family, for your community. I think as women, especially a lot of us really want to make a difference, right? We want to make a difference in our environment, in our communities. And I think when we're able to really move from that place, that's so nourishing for us. That, I mean, there's so many different layers to it, but um, I think when it comes to financial stuff, that's a big piece. But I do notice when people are stressed and anxious, sometimes just having them take some deep breaths, you know, adding in some of the, the more health side of things will then allow them to move into making more clear decisions financially. And then the chicken and the egg, right? It just keeps working together. Right. Absolutely. So I want to wrap up just by touching on, I think there's a perception that we talked a little bit about, um, you know, sometimes women feel like not as comfortable with financial topics or like, don't dig in. I think there's certainly a perception that, you know, in marriages, men usually, you know, take control of the money. And then maybe there's some perceptions around women being less um, willing to embrace risk and take big bets financially. 
do you, what's your experience with women? Do you find that to, to be true? And um, kind of what's your biggest advice and kind of removing maybe some of the barriers if they're there? Yeah, no, I think you, you bring up a great point. I mean, the research still shows that if someone's in a relationship, you know, um, that oftentimes, you know, if it's in a relationship with a man, they will be the ones that do take on that. And I think there's different reasons for it. I think one is women just don't, aren't always as comfortable stepping into things they don't know really well. And so men, maybe, maybe the knowledge level is the same, but men are like, yeah, I I can do that. Right. Whereas the woman wants to know more, they want to research more. And so maybe, or it's just the reality is, is that we're all really busy. So maybe that's just how, you know, in a relationship, things get divided up. But I also think that it's about educating. I think education is huge. When I am working with women for the first time and I spend time educating them, breaking it down into language that they can understand that are going to get them excited, going to get them passionate. I see them step right into it. I just think sometimes it takes the right experience and the right connection. I also see you just have to figure out what's going to light people up. So sustainable investing is a big one. Women, especially younger women, are the biggest age group interested in sustainable investing. So I can't tell you how many times I sit down with a couple and I say, hey, are there certain values that are important to incorporate in your investing? And all of a sudden the woman is like engaged and on it and excited. But I I think it goes with all of planning. The more we, you can understand things. I really just think it's education. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. I don't, I think we have, you know, as women, we just need to step up and we need to be like, you know what? I need to understand my money. I need to understand what's happening and you can do it in a way that's fun. That's exciting. I think sometimes women are just like, I don't, I don't care about money. You know, I just, I want to have enough to support myself, but like, I don't have these grand ambitions, but I, that's fine. Right. Like understand it, empower yourself more. You do see that when women, the research shows that when women start to understand and take, get involved, they feel more confident, not only around finances, but in all areas of their life because they get what's going on. And so I think it's, I think education is huge. I think it's just understanding it, getting excited about it, working with someone that's going to excite you, going to motivate you, going to make it fun. Um, And then I think you'll just see a world of difference. I love it. Thank you for being on the Power Chat podcast. Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the Her Next Play Power Chat podcast. We hope you've been inspired to become part of our community and join us in our mission to develop the next generation of women leaders through sports. You can help support us by heading to our website at www.hernextplay.org to join our booster club as a donor or a volunteer. And follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Her Next Play to learn more about our programs and upcoming events. We'll be back soon for the next Power Chat.